Hey, great to see you. Thanks for being here today. We never take for granted that you're here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, before we jump to the message, I, I want to just tell you about a little moment I had with the Lord yesterday. Um, my baby girl, Chloe, is getting married in five days. Man, it's uh, not quite sure what to do with all that, but we're thankful for a godly young man. And um, so Jenny gave me a whole list of stuff I had to do at the house. And uh, one of them was power washing the sidewalks. So that was my job yesterday afternoon. And so I'm out there. Now, when I approach something like that, here's kind of the deal. I'm going to get my AirPods in and uh, I'm going to be jamming on the uh, greatest hits of the 70s and 80s. You know what I'm talking about, man? I mean, and uh, so I'm I'm out there and I'm power spraying. I'm power spraying. I mean, man, I'm, you know, I'm I'm visiting my friends in low places. You know what I'm talking about? uh, (laughs) The the boys gave me a beat and soothed my soul and I got lost in a rock and roll. I mean, I'm I'm cutting the rug at the place called The Jug with a girl named Linda Lou. And uh, I mean, I'm just doing it, man. I'm loving it. I'm jumping around, dancing around. I'm sure people thought I was lost my mind. I didn't really care. I was having a great vibe with it. Loved it. Then this song comes on. Uh, it's an old Blondie song called Rapture. And, and the song Rapture is basically uh, this man from Mars comes and starts eating up stuff and he's eating cars, you know. Uh, he ate Cadillacs, Lincolns too, Mercury's and Subaru's. You know, you know that song? You know what I'm talking about? Anyway, so, um, <laughs> so I'm having this moment and then he quit eating cars and he started eating guitar. So, I mean, I'm shredding guitar with my sprayer. I'm... And then it's just this moment, man. You know, sometimes God just gives you a moment. You ever, you ever had just a God moment? And God just gave me a moment and just let me know that he loves it when I'm having fun. He loves it when I'm happy. And, and he loves me just as much when I'm singing rapture as if I'm preaching about the rapture. You know, I mean, he, he, he loves me equally both times. Because life can be heavy, right? And sometimes it's important to remember that God is just as much with us in the fun times as he is in the hard times. I mean, in, in the first service, a lady walks in, she and her teenage daughter, and, and I just kind of caught their eye and she just lost it. Her husband left her this morning. You, you, you see, the same God who says, I'm with you, when you're up is with us when we're broken. Aren't you glad we have a God like that? So we're uh, in week two of our series called This We Believe, which is basically um, a doctrinal study. Um, So when I say Bible doctrine, I mean kind of gathering information from different parts of the Bible um, uh, to form a doctrine about a particular subject based on the truth of God's Word. This information then uh, forms the basis of doctrinal truths that we live by uh, as a church. And I love the fact that, um, you know, over the centuries, you Bible scholars and theologians have been formulating Bible doctrines since the beginning of the church. And I love the fact that those primary basic foundational doctrines that we base our life on haven't changed. You know why? Because the truth of God's word hasn't changed. So last week, uh, we studied 
the doctrine of God. Today, we're going to study the doctrine of Jesus. So why, why is it important to study Bible doctrine? 2 Timothy 4.3 says, For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. Uh, they will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. More than that, now that is a word picture, isn't it? Here's what it means. I, um, I know what God's truth says. I know what the word of God says. I desire to do something contrary to that. And so instead of repenting like I should, I just find somebody who'll tell me that it's absolutely okay with God to do whatever I desire to do. And just, it itches and it, somebody who'll just scratch that instead of somebody who'll tell me the truth so that I can repent. And then verse four says, they will reject the truth and chase after myths. I think it's really interesting too, by the way, that this instruction is for the church. Um, the itching ears that believes myths don't belong to unbelievers. This is happening to the church. I see it all the time. Uh, somebody's life, uh, what they desire to do and what they're doing collides with the truth of God's word. And instead of repenting, they just say, I know what the Bible believes, but God's okay with me doing this. It's just so deceptive and so sad, man. And, and this happens all the time. Um, it happens when people believe myths that are contrary to the Bible. Things like this, you know, well, you know, God won't put any more on you than you can bear. Well, that, that's a myth. That's not true. In fact, God not only doesn't put a, you know, I'm going to put this on you, I'm going to put this on you, put this on you, but I'm not going to put one more thing on you so you can bear it. That's not how God works. God doesn't want us to carry any bear, any burdens. He doesn't want us to bear any burdens. He says, cast all your cares upon me because I care for you. But sometimes you know what God will do? God doesn't lay heavy things on us, but not enough to break us. God just breaks us. I will tell you, there have been plenty of times in my life God broke me because I needed to be broken so he could teach me something. And then, you know, people say things like, um, you can earn your way to heaven. Right? I mean, that, you know what? That's a myth. That's, that's, that's not true. Good people go to heaven because they do good things. That's a myth. I, I love what Vody Bacham said. He said, if God ever gives you what you earn, you'll wake up in hell. Well, that is the truth. So today, we're going to study the doctrine of Jesus, these foundational truths in God's Word, so we know what to believe about Jesus. Now, what I'm attempting to do about Jesus is impossible. <laughs> John, uh, in his gospel, chapter 21, said, Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world cannot contain the books that would be written. So if the whole world can't contain all the books, I'm not going to get all that in one sermon. But I do want to kind of cover uh, the main things that we believe about Jesus. I believe this about Jesus, honestly. The world can't contain all that. And we won't know all that till we get to heaven. 
part of what's going to be overwhelming about heaven is to know in full who the Lord Jesus is and what he's done. Amazing. So, we believe this about Jesus. Write this down. We believe Jesus is the one true eternal creator God. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. He's the one true eternal creator God. The Word John is describing is Jesus. How do we know that? John 1, 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And by the way, you know, Jesus is the only place possible that full grace and full truth can exist. You know where that happened? On the cross. The truth is, the wages of sin is death. Where there's sin, there's going to be death. The grace is that instead of God giving us the death we deserve, Jesus died our death. So there's grace and truth. And they coexist perfectly in Jesus. So Jesus is eternal. He didn't begin in Bethlehem. That's where he became flesh. Uh, He is eternal. He's always existed. He always will exist. He is also creator God. Uh, Colossians 1 says, Christ is is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. (laughs) Wow. As far as we can see with the most powerful telescope, There's Jesus. He made that, and he holds all of that together, the whole universe. The tiniest detail of life that we can see with the most powerful microscope, Jesus made that down to the the cells that create life, and he holds all of that together. That's who Jesus is. We also believe this about Jesus, that Jesus became completely man, completely human. Philippians 2, 6. Though he was God, he he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Wow. Jesus, the king of glory, he emptied himself of his divine nature in order to die. 
God can't die. So he had to become a human in order to die for us. So Jesus became flesh to die our sin death. That's it. That's all. In other words, Christ did not hesitate to set aside his rights as God when he became a man. But at the same time, he never stopped being God. So he is 100% God, 100% man. The God-man. And he did it for us. So he, he left the glory of heaven, put on flesh, humbled himself to the point of death, death on a cross. He rose again, ascended back to glory. And he reigns as king of kings and lord of lords. But it's not just that simple process. You see, in that process, Jesus bore the sin of humanity. Jesus made a way to the Father. Jesus redeemed all of mankind who would put their faith in him for now and forevermore. He made a way for us to have eternal life, but it took him leaving the glory of heaven, humbling himself, dying on a cross, headed back to heaven. One day, we'll see him again. Hmm. We also believe this about Jesus. Uh, Jesus is the only means for us to be made right with God. Uh, Job asked the question, Job 9.2, but how can a person be declared innocent in God's sight? That is the question. Jesus is the answer. Jesus did that. He, he answered that question on the cross by doing three things. Here's the first thing he did. Write this down. By making us one with God. John 19, 28. Jesus knew that his mission was finished. He's hanging on the cross when he says this. He knew his mission was finished. And he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and he released his spirit. So Jesus' word, it is finished, are loaded with meaning, way past the obvious meaning of his physical body died. Sin separates us from God, and when Jesus bore our sin, he made a way for us to be reconciled back to God. We call this atonement. Now, the simplest way to explain atonement is at one Our sin separates us from God. There is no way back to a holy God being a sinful person. But Jesus died our death, bore our sin, so we can be reconciled to God, so we could be at one moment with God. Jesus made atonement on the cross. There's a great um, picture in uh, Matthew's gospel of what that looked like, Matthew 27, verse 50. Uh, then Jesus shouted again, and he released his spirit. Look at this. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, Matthew's gospel was written to a Jewish audience, and a Jewish audience would have absolutely understood the significance of the curtain in the temple. It was about four inches thick. 
about 45 feet tall, and it separated inside the temple the holy place from the most holy place. And the most holy place was where the high priest once a year took a lamb without spot or blemish and sacrificed it to make atonement for God's people Israel. But at the very moment, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God without spot or blemish, died, the curtain was torn from top to bottom, God did it. It's like God saying, come on, let's be at one. No longer is it necessary for animals to be sacrificed. You don't need a high priest. We can go straight to God. There's no curtain that separates us from his holiness. God satisfied that, and now we can come to God. What a great picture. Hebrews 10 says, by his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. Because of what Jesus did, because he reconciled us to God, and we are at one with God when we put our faith in Jesus. You know what that means? We go straight to God. We don't need a priest. So every time we pray, we go right into the presence of God, and he hears us. You know what made that possible? The blood of Jesus. Without Jesus' sacrifice on the cross that made atonement, we couldn't even take our prayers to God. That's how big a deal this is. On the cross, Jesus atoned for our sin. And now when we believe, we are made right with God and are fully reconciled to him. Here's another thing that happened while Jesus was on the cross. Here's what it did. It was satisfying God's wrath. You see, when we were separate from God, God hate sin and God's wrath will judge sin. Nothing can stop that. He, if he didn't, he wouldn't be just. First John 2 says, my, <clears throat> my little children, I'm writing these things to, so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation. That's, that's kind of the theological term for our sin and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. So Jesus made propitiation. He made God's wrath satisfied. So God doesn't have to punish sin. When we put our faith in Jesus, because Jesus already was punished on the cross for our sin. That satisfied the just God that we serve. That satisfied his wrath. Propitiation means God's justice has been satisfied. The, you know, the Bible's just clear. Sin is, must face the wrath of God. Otherwise, God's not a just God. Propitiation means God's wrath and justice have been satisfied. I mean, think about it. The full weight of God's wrath 
poured out on the Lord Jesus. God demands justice. But God loves us. So instead of pouring out his wrath on us, he poured it on his son. That's what we call grace. Here's another thing Jesus did while on the cross. He, he made us one with God by paying our sin debt. Uh, when Jesus said, it is finished, hanging on the cross, the, those three English words, it is finished, is one Greek word. The word is tetelestai, and it means paid in full. Uh, they've actually discovered uh, some ancient accounting manuscripts where somebody had an account that they owed, and when it was paid, they would find these documents with the word tetelestai written across it, paid in full. That's what Jesus did. He paid our sin debt. First Peter 1.18, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by traditions from your father, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish and without spot. You get that? We are redeemed. We are forgiven. We are purchased by the blood of Jesus. So now, when we put our faith in Jesus, God doesn't see us and our sin. He sees Jesus and his righteousness, and we become the righteousness of Jesus. Boom, paid in full. Here's another thing we believe about Jesus. We believe Jesus has all authority. Philippians uh, 2.6. Therefore... And remember, we read the first five verses that Jesus humbled himself, became a slave, died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to a place of highest honor and gave him a name above all other names that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. He has all authority. You know, it's a humbling thing, what Jesus did. The God of all creation, the King of glory. It's, I believe it's the greatest mystery of the Bible that the Lord Jesus Christ, the one with all authority, died for me. The one who knew no sin, perfect in splendor and majesty became my sin. The all-powerful God of creation set aside his glory, humbled himself, and died because he loved me. You see, I know me, and I don't understand why 
he would do that. But he did. And I surrender my life to him. How could I do anything else? Here's another thing we believe about Jesus. Jesus is the head of the church. Colossians 1. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over uh, all uh, who raise from the dead. Uh, So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This church belongs to Jesus. He bought it with his blood. This church exists to glorify his name. OBC is called to proclaim the truth of his word, teach his people to follow him, and proclaim the glorious gospel to people who don't know him. That's it. That's all. We are Jesus' church, and he has all authority here. That's who he is. We also believe this, that Jesus is coming back. This isn't your outline or it's on screen. Just let, just let me read these words. Just listen. This is from Revelation 19. Then I saw heaven opened and a white horse uh, was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and his head were many, on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except him. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven dressed in fine and finest and pure white linen followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God the Almighty like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, um, Jesus came as a baby, first time he came. And he came to save this world. Next time he comes back, that's how he's coming back. And he's coming back to judge this world. And he will make it right. I don't know where we're at and all that. When's that going to happen? People have been trying to guess that for centuries. And Here's what I believe, though. And I believe this with all of my heart. That Jesus in heaven sits at the right hand of the Father. And I believe right now he's on the edge of his seat with his hands on the arms, just waiting for the Father to say, Go get my children. I believe that's where we're at. The only thing, most important thing I can tell you about Jesus coming back is you better be ready because he's coming back. So how do we respond to what we believe about Jesus? Here's the first thing. Write this down. 
obey his commands. Uh, Before Jesus went back to heaven, the last instruction, the last commands he gave to his church was in Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even till the end of the age. That's a command. You know what's easy for a church like ours? To love this too much. Man, I love coming here. I love singing. I love being with y'all. Man, it is such an incredible, important thing in my life. But it's easy in the middle of all that to get so comfortable that we forget people are dying out there. People are dying out there every minute without Jesus. And they're going to spend eternity in hell. And Jesus loves them as much as he loves us. And he said, go there and make disciples. Tell them how much I love them. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It represents new life. Teach them how to live. Because we take all those things for granted. If we have a blind spot as a church, that's it. I mean, when's the last time you brought Jesus into a conversation with somebody you don't really know that well and you don't know if they're a believer? It's a big deal. That's why uh, starting September 24th, we're going to have a whole program called Who's Your One? Because I believe God's going to show everybody, one person who doesn't know him, where you can speak Jesus into that conversation, get them in this church, where God can, can change their lives with the power of the gospel. That's our command. And we must not ignore it. If we believe what we say we believe about Jesus, how can we not? Here's another thing we do with what we believe. We shine his light. Matthew 5, verse 14. You're the light of the world. Talking about the church. You're the light of the world. Uh, Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp, then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for those to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. I mean, Jesus says, here's how it works, man. I've redeemed you, changed your life. You believe who I am. Now go live like you believe that. And the way you do it is being a servant and helping people. Maybe you don't even know and, and you serve them and you, maybe you give them some food. Maybe you do it. And, and when you do that and you say, hey, I'm doing this because Jesus changed my life and I want you to know him. They see that and they give glory to the Father in heaven. So we try to do that in all kinds of ways. We give out all kinds of food. Uh, Yesterday, we gave out a ton of backpacks from Rockingham Hope to kids who just need it with school starting. You you saw that video um, of Nikki who said, I was in prison 
Well, you know what happened? She ended up in a Genesis ministry, got saved, God changed her life, redeemed her with the glory of the gospel, changed her life completely around. She works full-time here at the church in the cafe, and she got her kids back. You know why? Because that's what the power of the gospel does. You know how that happens? Somebody shined their light on her enough to say, we can help you. Your life doesn't have to be this way. And God wants to use you that way. Shine his light. Here's another way we uh, respond to what we say we believe about Jesus. We hope in his return. Titus 2, 13. While we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will be revealed. That's when he comes back. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people totally committed to doing good deeds. You ever look around this world and just think, this is a messed up place, man. If you pay attention, you do. But our hope isn't in this world. This world is broken, fatally flawed. But one day, Jesus is coming back. And he's coming back to take over. And he's going to reveal to us then our true home. Where he reigns. Where there's no sickness, sorrow, pain, disease, depression. We're all good. All the time. Forever. Wow. One more way we respond to what we say we believe is to remember what he has done. So let's go to the upper room. Jesus, for three years, has led his disciples around doing all kinds of miracles, displaying his glory, you know, preaching the gospel. And he knows tomorrow I'm going to die. And they go to the upper room. It's the Passover. And he reveals to his disciples, he, he is the Passover lamb. And here's how he said it. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord Jesus himself. On the night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread. And he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with his blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread, and drink this cup. You are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. We are God's people. We are his church. We are his children. And we remember. We remember what he did. And the Bible gives us some really clear instruction. You see, the Lord's Supper has a twofold purpose for every church. One, 
to remember the cross. Two, to unify the body. Because when I remember the cross, it's like a spiritual checkup for me, man. I'm examining my life and I get things that are right with me and God. I make that right and I make things right with me and whoever else. That's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27, so anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. I mean, that's really clear. In fact, uh, in that same chapter, the Bible tells us that some of those people there at the church at Corinth, they hated each other so much and they were dishonoring God so much and then having a party with the Lord's Supper that God killed them. And he's just saying, when you do this, it's a big deal. You know why? We must never take the cross lightly. And what that means in our life. So we're going to do exactly what the Scripture commands us to do before we have the Lord's Supper. So I want you to do this first. I want you to just bow your heads and close your eyes. And just as sincerely as you can, from your heart to God, would you just pray this prayer? Lord, right now, would you show me, would you show me, God, the things in my life that have gotten between me and you, the things in my life that are hindering my relationship with you. Would you show me those desires and behaviors right now, God? Now be still, be quiet. Let God speak to you. I believe God just answered a lot of prayers right then. And he showed you, showed me some things that I need to repent of to have a right relationship with God. So right now, could you just pray this with me from your heart to God? God, thank you for showing me these things. You said, God, that if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And God, I confess this to you now. Please forgive me. I repent, God. Give me the strength now to live without these things in my life. Now just as earnestly as you can, could you pray this with me? Father, would you show me now the relationships in my life with another brother or sister that's just not right, it's not good, and it's been my own anger or it's been my own pride or my own jealousy. That is the problem. Now to be still, be quiet. Let God show you. God just answered a lot of prayers right then. And could you right now just in response to what we believe about God and all Jesus has done. Could you just pray this? Lord, thank you for showing me about these people in my life or this person. And God, I commit to you right now 
I'm going to have a conversation with them, and I'm going to do everything I can do to reconcile because that's your will for our lives. And I believe because of the power of the cross, this is possible. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. And we pray in the mighty name of Jesus, amen.